This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, because it's Friday, we end another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about life. Whatever you're going through, the Bible has the answer, and I'll do the best I can to lead you to it. Uh, all you have to do is call us, 210 is our main number, 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send your questions in that way. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We would love to close the week with a lot of your calls and questions. Hey, because it's Friday, I, I just told our producer here that uh, I'm waiting for somebody to cancel tonight. He said, why? I said, because this is the worst Bible study ever. Uh, I'm in Second Peter chapter 2. And then we're going to have to separate it in two weeks. And it's just not a fun Bible study. But it is an important one. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com. It's really a a study about false teachers. In fact, chapter 2 is about false teachers. That's why it's not pleasant. Uh, But we'll be doing verses 1 through 9 tonight. And then we are in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 beginning on Sunday morning. So I invite you to join us. We'd love to have you. We are open and people are coming. Hey, one quick programming note, I'll try to remember at the end of the program as well, is we will not be live on Monday, uh, which is Memorial Day. Uh, Memorial Day is um, um, uh, a day off uh, for everybody at the studio. So um, that will be a rebroadcast of, of an earlier program. Uh, Lord willing, we will be back live on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday uh, next week, we have our tradition. We'll have our graduating senior class on the air with us, and we're really, really thrilled. They're going to be able to do their graduation and have our high school banquet next week. So it's a busy week, but it's always a really, really good one. Okay, well, let's get to some questions uh, while we await your phone calls. The first question comes from Bruce. He says, I have so many questions about the millennium. Can you help me understand what we will be doing and when exactly 
it, the millennium happens. Um, Bruce, we'll be ruling and reigning with Christ. Now, unfortunately, we don't get any more detail than that. Uh, the way I imagine it, God will have us spread out all over the earth because there will be people in their flesh and blood bodies spread all over the earth, people that survived the Great Tribulation. Uh, and we will be um, Jesus' ambassadors. That's the only way I can see. But we'll have authority. Uh, we will execute judgment, and we will um, be sort of governors um, wherever it is God sends us. But 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 that's just sort of speculation from from reading uh, Isaiah's prophecies uh, about the the millennial reign of Christ uh, during the end times. Uh, but we don't really have any detail. And I know we humans would love more detail, but we really don't have any. I, I tease Bruce. Now, I love San Antonio, so don't misunderstand this. But I tease people. I say, you know, I'll probably get San Antonio or I'll be stationed here somewhere. But but we don't know. There's just no specific information or def- definition about what ruling and reigning with Christ really means. Uh, when it will happen is... Uh, immediately following the seven-year Great Tribulation, chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, Jesus returns to earth. He returns with us, and with a word, he destroys his enemies. And when he does that, then he establishes kingdom. Now, there's some time that is being spent uh, uh, cleaning up uh, all of the carcasses, the Great Supper of the Lamb, when he calls all the birds uh, all over the world together. Uh, they'll, they'll, there's, there's a period of time where, where the, the, the earth is going to be cleansed, uh, bones picked clean kind of thing. Uh, and then he's going to establish his kingdom. And uh, I, there's just no other information that we have about it, Bruce, other than I can say I can't wait until that moment. Now, we will have been with Jesus, of course, for seven years. Uh, even though we're going to be stepping outside of time and space, uh, we know on earth it's a period of time of seven years. We'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, the, 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 the moment we are actually married to Jesus, um, when we will receive our rewards uh, or lose rewards at the famous seat of Christ. Um, but when we come back, um, Jesus coming back, his robe dipped in the blood of his enemies, King of kings and Lord of lords, written on his thigh, and on his robe, Jesus evidently will have a tattoo. And, um, and, and that's when it all begins. And for 1,000 years, there will be perfect justice. Swift justice and perfect justice on the earth. After the 1,000 years are over, Bruce, um, Jesus is going to um, open the lake of fire and everybody will stand before the great white throne judgment and be judged for the sins in their body and sentenced to an eternity apart from Christ. So hope that helps, Bruce. There just isn't a whole bunch of information uh, that deals with specifics regarding what we're going to be doing. Here is an anonymous question. Um, I've had this question in lots of different forms over the years here. Uh, Pastor Brown, what's the best way to deal in those times when Jesus feels distant. Um, Anonymous, every single one of us who has ever been born again has had those times. Now, sometimes when Jesus feels distant, it's by his design. 
um, he's testing us. He's, he's teaching us to walk by faith rather than by sight. He's teaching us how to overcome the way we feel or, or, or the, the loneliness of our circumstance. He's teaching us to draw to him. The Bible says if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And, and he wants us to remember that by faith. So sometimes it's just Jesus causing us to grow up. Other times, those distant times, are because we've sinned. And I really think we've got to be honest about this. And this is why Paul says we're to examine our hearts daily to see whether or not we're in the faith. If Jesus is distant, oftentimes, Anonymous, it's because we've done something sort of to drive drive him away. Now, he says he'll never leave us or forsake us. But remember, relationship is broken when we sin. And if we haven't repented, I mean genuinely acknowledged our sin, confessed it, and repented, then that distance is going to grow deeper. So a lot of times the best way to deal, using your terms, is we need to repent. We need to really search our hearts. No joking around, just, just Lord, I know my heart isn't in the right place. I know I shouldn't have responded to that person the way I did. I, I know I shouldn't. And you can fill in your own blank, Anonymous. But we've got to repent. And 1 John 1, 9 absolutely guarantees us that if we confess our sins, and that is to agree with God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so we confess He returns and that relationship gets sweet again. Third thing, Anonymous, and this is maybe the one that you seem to be dealing with. Um, Maybe we've lost our sense of priority. Maybe we've stopped being grateful. Maybe we've began to presume upon our relationship with the Lord. And if any of those things are the case, we need to repent of that. That's what happened to the churches in Ephesus in uh, Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus addresses them. He says, look, you're doing all the right Christianese things, but I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. And when we leave our first love, when, when the passion begins to wane and we find ourselves just going through the motions, or perhaps we're feeling so down that we're not even trying to go through the motions. We're just consumed with how we feel. Well, this is when we really need to be on guard because this is when the devil is going to take advantage of every single one of us. Now, something never to forget is that when you're distant from the Lord, you're the one that's moved, not him. So go back and do the things you did at first. That's what Jesus told the churches in Ephesus. Remember what it was like when you loved him. Remember what it was like when you got up in the morning you couldn't wait to open your Bible and, and pray. You just couldn't wait because you, you really knew that the Lord was going to speak to your heart. I'll tell you one other thing that you can do to deal is get your focus off you and off your problems and focus on him and on the people he loves. 
it's really hard to be distant from the Lord when you're serving others. So be intentional every day. Lord, what about me and what about today? And the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and no one feels distant from the Lord when he or she is walking in the power of God's Spirit. Hope that makes sense to you, Anonymous. Just fight like crazy because I said a moment ago, the enemy will try to take advantage of this. Roger says, people keep saying Jesus is coming back, but when? What's he waiting for? Uh, Roger, in a, in a really respectful way, I ask him that a lot. Today would be good, Lord. I look at the eastern sky every morning when I get up. That's my first stop. I wanna, I wanna, that's, just, that's where he's going to be coming from. And uh, I'm ready. I hope he's ready. I think he's getting ready. At the same time, the Bible tells us that he's not slack concerning his promise of returning, but he's patient, unwilling that any would perish. So, Roger, he is coming back. And when he comes back, it will be sudden. That's what it means by, I'm returning soon. It doesn't mean, okay, it's a, a week from today. That's soon for us. But it means that when he comes, there's no turning back. I mean, he's, he's going to come. It will be in an instant. And we need to be ready. I also think that if we consume ourselves with being ready for his return, looking forward to seeing him when he comes back, I don't think, Roger, it's going to seem like it's so long. Now, to the question, what is he waiting for? He's waiting for that last Gentile to get saved. Paul talks about the full number of Gentiles that are coming in. So there are people out there who need to be saved still. And then our response to that ought to be to share our faith with people all the time, wherever we go. Imagine you take that step of faith. You know, you're a little uncomfortable. Should I share? Shouldn't I share? I don't feel like I should, but I know I need to. You take that step of faith. What if that would be the last one? Roger, you think you get a standing ovation from the rest of us on the way up to heaven? Way to go, Roger. We're out of here now. But what he's waiting for is exactly the right time. You know, Roger, when Jesus came to earth the first time, Jews had been waiting for the Christ for as long as there were Jews. They were waiting. And he didn't come, and he didn't come, and he didn't come, and they stopped looking. And when Jesus finally arrived, they missed him. I can't imagine what that must be like. There he was at just the right time. Well, the one thing I can tell you for sure is that at just the right time, he will come back for his church, and then the world has seven years of history from Earth's perspective left. So just keep waiting, keep occupying, keep sharing your faith. Hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. 
Let's go. We've got a call on line one. Let me see who it is. Federico, my friend from San Antonio. God bless you. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Gloria a Dios, Buenaventurado. Bonai Voluntaris. Paxo Minibus. A little Latin in there. Paxo Minibus, Bonai Voluntaris. It means uh, goodwill and, uh, and peace to all mankind. I'll take it. Uh, Thank Pastor. you, Federico. <laughs> and throughout the college, and throughout the list. Pastor, I was just wondering, what happened to you before you humble yourself before God? What 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 happened? <laughs> Federico, for me it was um twenty nine years ago and uh I ran out of things to be proud about. I was, uh, my life, uh, and, and I, I lived a blessed life. I had tons and tons of money. I had the most beautiful woman in the world. I had great kids. Uh, from, from the outside looking in, it looked like I had everything that everybody wanted. But inside, I was destroying myself. And my sin got so bad that all pride, all, all vestiges of pride were stripped from me. And I realized one day, and actually, Federico, I was running away from home. I, I hadn't told Paula or anything. I just had, had gone home and left a note. Uh, but I, um, I was running away from home, and I got a block and a half away, and um, I, I just had, there was no pride left. There was nothing to hold on to. And I had to deal with the truth that, that I messed up everything good that I had. Now, Paula had been praying for me for 13 years. I had a lot of other people praying for me, um, but but I'm sorry. You had a knowledge of God through all that. Well, I, you know, I wasn't raised in church, so I didn't know anything about Him other than what Paula had shared with me. And I think the real thing for me, Federico, was, um, you know, I I was a controlling jerk. And I tried to make Paula's life miserable. It, it really bothered me that she loved Jesus more than me. It bothered me that that uh, I couldn't make her unhappy, as, as, as perverse as that sounds. Uh, I was trying to control her, and, and I just couldn't do it. I, I, you know, she had this joy that wouldn't go away. And as my life began to disintegrate, um, there, there was there's simply no reason that she should be joyful, and yet she was. And so actually, when I ran away from home, I told you I got only a block and a half away. I actually fell on my face on the public street and I cried out for Paul's Jesus because I knew he was real. That's the only thing I knew. The rest of it was just the Holy Spirit that was drawing me to that time. And God let me get to my most desperate point. And uh, that's when I was, I knew I was totally bankrupt, morally, ethically, every other way. I knew there was no possible hope and uh, Jesus then presented himself as the hope. And uh, he picked me up that day from that public street. My life has never been the same since. Because I was thinking about Second uh, uh, Chronicles 7, 14. And, and I was thinking, when did I actually humble myself to God? Because humble and then seek him and pray and then repent. And I said, what happened to me before I humble myself to God? It was like I remembered the scripture on the prodigal son. I'm like, it was like my conscience. He came to his senses. What am I doing here in this big pen? <laughs> I had no sense of 
right or wrong, and the truth was I rejected, and, and the good I call bad, and the bad I call evil. And, and I, I was just totally confused. And, and I came yep. to my senses, like my conscience woke up, and I said, what am I doing? Um, See, Federico, Federico, that's God's gift to you, the, the, the conscience. Now, you've told a little bit of your story on this program in the past, but you know, I can, I can imagine you, just like the prodigal was in a pigsty, uh, you were in a jail cell, and it, at some point you look back and say, look, look what I've done. This is the best I can do. And it was at that moment, it's like the Holy Spirit just came flooding. He was right there by you, and he was drawing you to the Lord. But it was sort of like he was a salesman who was closing the deal at that moment. And um, um, when you said, Lord, to Jesus, that's when you humbled yourself. And that's when he came flooding in. And that's all he was waiting for was that opening. Isn't he wonderful to wait that long for us and to, and to, to, to reach that low? To rescue us and to feel that love that yeah. that, that touch of that love that godly divine love <laughs> and that's what we all see I, I, I was i don't know just tears started rolling down i was in prison they had sent me they they couldn't deal with me no more pastor the warden sent me to a psychiatric prison the lowest of the low <laughs> How did I get myself in this place? And that's when I said, I started getting remorse of all the things that I had done. How could I have done those or said those things? How could I have turned into when my parents had taught me, contrary to everything what I did? And I let down my parents and everything just started flooding in on me and and I felt real bad. And that's when I, I humble myself to God. I said, I've reached the deepest. I mean, once they throw you in a psychiatric prison, that's. <laughs> I, they, 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 they were probably. I, I was thinking they're gonna, they're gonna, they're not gonna let me lose. They're gonna send me to a, one of those. What do they call those asylums? Mental asylums. Yeah. You know, Federico. What one of the. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing with you. Because when, when you think about, uh, I think about Barabbas, the Bible says he was a notorious bad guy, which means he was, he was like a really bad guy. Of all the bad guys, he was the worst. And, and you were uh, crazy and yet not even fit for general population in prison. And so they were going to send you to the psychiatric ward. And, and you know, when you, get, when you get low enough and you're honest enough to admit it, there's only one place to look, and that's up. And he's always right there when you do. And I, I'm just so grateful to God. He changed my life forever. to me. I wasn't mentally ill. I started wearing uh, like a bishop hat with scriptures. And the inmates nicknamed me the Pope. And then, and then the guards say uh, they would bring some coffee that other enemies had sent me, and then they would tell me, "Are you the Pope?" And I said, "Yeah." Well, that was my nickname. And the guards thought that I, I thought myself as the Pope. No, I'm not the Pope, but that's my nickname. But before I knew it, they were sending. I was on my way to Alfred Hughes Unit in Gainesville, Texas. <laughs> But God, 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 God used me over there, Pastor. God well, let me used tell you me this. over there to reach out to those inmates. 
Yeah, let me, let me tell you this, uh, uh, Federico. You and I have one thing in common. We both got so low that we couldn't look anywhere else but to Jesus. And he was right there. And because he changed our lives so radically, um, you know, he who has been forgiven much loves much. I think that explains uh, why you love the Lord so much. It explains why I love the Lord so much. We know where we've been. And our prayer together now for others is that, that they won't have to go as low as we had to go in order to find the Savior of their souls. Federico, thank you very, very much. I appreciate the phone call. Always appreciate talking to you. Always encourage me. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we're just over a minute for this half of the program. Let's see if I got a really quick question. Um, here's one I can do. I think really quick. Oh, I've only got one minute, so I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm going to wait a little bit. Let me give you just kind of an update in this last few seconds uh, for next week. Again, we're going to have um, the Wednesday program is going to be taken up with our graduating seniors as we. I have been doing now for many, many years. In fact, all the years on this program. Uh, and um, we would appreciate your prayers. Also, next Sunday, not this one, but the following Sunday, uh, the last Sunday of the month, is our 25th birthday as a church. May 31st, 1995 was the first time we met together as Calvary Chapel San Antonio. And we're excited about that as well. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. 340-9585. Or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our last half hour of the week, 340-9585. Here is a question from Tim. He says, I am struggling with 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. Can you help? Well, let me read it, Tim, and I'll see. It says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. You know, John, this is a a verse that has stumbled a lot of people, and it's also a verse that has been perverted by false teachers to suggest that we can become, not we can become, that we should become sinless. But that's not what he's talking about. That's why we need to be Workmen rightly dividing the word, we need to, to study to show ourselves approved. The, the Greek language here, this is the pr- present continuous tense. So when he says no one who lives in him keeps on sinning, he's talking about a continual lifestyle of willful sin. And he emphasizes that no one who continues to sin is either seen or known. So what John is simply saying, I love that he was the apostle of love, and yet what he really, really, he, he could be really direct And here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you may claim to know Jesus, but if you keep on sinning, you keep rebelling against what God's told you to do. The only way that that can be explained is that you don't know him. 
Again, you may have answered an altar call. You may get saved at the Billy Graham crusade. It doesn't matter how many years you've been going to church. If you, as a professing believer, are living in a lifestyle characterized by constant sin, and I'm talking about willful sin, not not slipping, not, uh, oh, I, I've sinned again, I'm sorry, I didn't want to do it, not that. That's the normal Christian experience. But, for example, the, the people in our culture who claim to be Christians but live in a, a homosexual lifestyle. Um, they've not met Jesus. They could not keep doing that and, and more than that, promoting their cause if they'd really met him. Remember, God is holy. We've got to come to him on his terms. And we've got to be men and women who pursue holiness. You know, the man who, uh, or woman who continually cheats on their spouse. You can say Jesus with your mouth all you want, but if you keep doing this, you know it's wrong, then you're not someone who can testify that you've met Jesus. You're the man who's continual drunk or, or, or continues to do drugs. A man who abuses his wife. The woman who, who um, um, withholds herself from her husband. I mean, you just can't do that and say you know Jesus. So, Tim, that's what he's talking about. This has nothing to do with, and I know how the enemy condemns, but it has nothing whatsoever to do with you sin, oh, you must not know Jesus. We, we're we going to sin, we're flesh, we're in these flesh and blood bodies. Um, until we're with him, until we have our new bodies with no sin nature, we're going to keep sinning. But but the point is we got to hate our sin. And then we got a purpose in our heart not to do it again. And if we fail again, then what we do is we say, God, I did it again. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And he will. But remember, he also knows our hearts. God will not be mocked. He knows those who are his. Paul writes to the Galatians. You can't just say, well, okay, I'll sin and say I'm really sorry. And then God will forgive me. You don't know him. You haven't met him if you can do that. So, Tim, that's what that passage means it's not something to struggle with at all. It's simply something that helps us identify to whom we really belong. Uh, Brian asks a timely question. Pastor Ron, do you think churches ought to disobey quarantine restrictions? Brian, I don't. I don't. However, I understand those that do. I mean, we have been deemed churches, what we do for a living, the, the, the thing that dominates our lives. Church is who we are. And gathering together with the saints is not a suggestion, it's a command. And we've sort of been disengaged, marginalized by the leaders and so many. Now, fortunately, we've got a governor who hasn't done that. But in other states, I was talking to my producer uh, before the program started today, uh, the president declared churches an essential part of our society. And he said to governors in those states that are marginalizing churches, he said to them that um, um, he is ordering them to declare churches essential starting this weekend. Starting this weekend, we're not to be quarantined, we're not to be cut off from the body. He also said that if governors refuse, that he would use his power as a president to overrule 
their authority. Now, I don't know that he can do that constitutionally, but 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 he, he made his position known, and I'm grateful that he did. Um, the interesting thing that I was talking to my producer about was um, next Sunday, May 31st, uh, is really going to be a challenge all over the country, but especially in California. Um, one of the Calvary Chapel pastors out there is leading a bunch of people that's kind of caught on like wildfire. Um, it, it's Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, May 31st. It's our birthday as a church, but it's Pentecost Sunday. And, um, and, and they've got more than 2,000 churches in California that together at one with one voice are going to open their churches up and people are going to be brought back. And I think the longer the government, the, the, the governor tells them they can't, the more people that are going to come back. And they're going to do it. And it's basically, we're all doing it at the same time. Um, they, they can't penalize us, but we need to make this statement and we need to be back in church. And I think it's going to be really, really interesting uh, on that Sunday. If, if I was in California and the government there, the governor, I should say, he's the, the, the driving force here. Um, he hasn't given them any indication. You know, first, well, we'll look for June, uh, maybe July. Now he's trying to push it down the, 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 the road, of, you know, maybe four or five more months. And, and uh, you know, I think if I was in California, Brian, I would open too. Now, again, we didn't have to face that here in Texas. So I'm really, really grateful. But, yeah, we need to obey the quarantine restrictions. Um, But we also need to be considered essential so we can meet. You know, Brian, one last comment I want to make on this. You know, people have differing opinions, differing views on this. And a lot of those divergent views are from pastors that I've talked to. And it seems to me and this is just one pastor's opinion. It seems to me like how you view church, your church, if you're a pastor, determines your position on this. Um, Paul and I, we can't wait to get to church. We're going to be here tonight. We're here three times a week. Paul is here a fourth time on, on Monday night. Um, but we're here on, on Wednesday. We're here on Friday. We're here three services on Sunday. Uh, we we can't imagine being away from our people. We love them. They love us. This is where we are encouraged. This is where we get to use our gifts. This is our family. And if you view church that way, then I think you're anxious to get back. If you view church as something you do instead of something you are, well, then I think it doesn't really matter. No big deal. I'll watch online and... It's not that big a deal. It's a very big deal. You can watch online if you're not coming, and you should. However, having said that, one thing that we have to remember is that's not what we're called to do. We're called to gather together. Church isn't just about listening to a talking head like me preach. Church is interacting with people, loving people. Asking the Lord to give you words of wisdom or knowledge, give you the ability to exhort others, to look into their eyes and see for yourself with the Holy Spirit helping you how they're really doing. If you don't view church 
and your part in being the church as essential. Well, it's no big deal. What's the big deal? We'll just take four, five, six months off. Um, the people who are thinking like that, Brian, are going to drift away. It's that simple. They're going to drift away. And I think that will be a tragedy when it happens. So pray for the churches in California. Um, they really are facing opposition out there. 340-9585. We had a caller just call into the studio. Um, will you talk about spiritual growth? Uh, not everyone has an instant transformation. Um, you know, uh, caller, nobody nobody has an instant transformation. I, I, I said that in my conversation with Federico. Um, but um, when I meant instant, I, I was different the minute I got up. Now, I still lied. I still had ugly thoughts. Uh, I didn't know how to approach my new life in Christ. I just knew I was saved. But here's the thing. God will grow you up as fast as you let him. And unfortunately, too many of us, we just don't let God have his way. Now, when we come to Christ, remember the old is gone, the new has come. I think sometimes the reason people don't have a, a, a noticeable transformation instantly is because they're still trying to hold on to the old junk. we got a guy in our church, AJ is his name, and, and this is a guy who is facing a whole lot of years in prison. I mean, a whole lot of years in prison. Uh, his life had been a mess. His wife, poor girl, she, she was married to this criminal, this jerk. Uh, he got saved in our church, and you could instantly see it. I mean, the physical transformation. Now, it's been over a year now, and it hasn't changed. I mean, it was instant. Other people will answer an invitation and they don't really let it hit the depths of their heart. Sometimes it's an emotional response. They know they need something. But you see, when Jesus comes into your heart, when you really meet him, he wants to completely renovate your heart. And if we are holding things back from him, well, then our transformation is going to be very slow. doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means that you're going to have a lot of difficulty because God is going to keep pulling and pushing and prodding. Come on, come on. Let go of those things. As we hold on to sin, as we hold on to parts of our old life, for men, a lot of times, it's holding on to pride. It's holding on to the sense that somehow we're going to be in control. Well, if we hold on to those things, then we're not going to be easily identified by others as men filled with the Spirit of God. So, what I, the, the most important thing that I want you to get from this is that every transformation can be instant. Everyone can be. But that depends on you and how quickly you're willing to let go of who you are and embrace who you are in Christ. 
uh, I answered Federico's question. He wanted to know a little bit about my story. And, and um, you know, I just recognized, caller, that I didn't have anything worth holding on to. I'd messed up my marriage. I'd messed up my life. I'd messed up my reputation, business, everything that, that I had going for me. I, I ruined it all. And so for me, there was nothing to lose. And I looked at Jesus, he looked at me. And he gave me a hand and a challenge at the same time. He said, follow me. It was a great, great place in the gospel accounts where Jesus walks up to his disciples. And he doesn't try to persuade them. He just looks at them and says, follow me. Matthew was a businessman. Levi, the tax collector, he, he was rich. And he had a lot to lose. But he was always where Jesus was, and he would hear Jesus teaching. And one day, he was ready. He didn't know he was ready, but Jesus did. Jesus just walked up to him and said, follow me. And he left everything and followed Jesus. He didn't say, well, what about my money? What am I going to do about my accounts? What am I going to do? He just left everything and followed him. And if we will leave everything and follow Jesus, then your transformation is going to be at warp speed. And that's what Jesus wants for all of us. It is a tragedy that far too many of us don't let Jesus take us as far and as fast as he's prepared to do. So I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, if, if you're explaining your life, you haven't had an instant transformation. Ask the Lord, say, what am I holding on to? You know, I have a way of praying, caller, that I'll open my hands out in front of me and I'll just say, Jesus, take everything that's not of you away. Now, sometimes it's hard because I've had to do that relative to the church and my role here. Lord, I can only serve by your power. I've got to be in your will. So if if, if if you're ready for me to do something else, or, or if I'm not qualified to keep doing this, take it away. Everything that's in my, in my hands, Lord, is yours. And then I leave my hands open, imagining them completely empty. And I say, Jesus, now put your stuff back in there. And if you'll do that, watch how quickly you are transformed. I'll repeat one more thing that I said a moment ago because it's that important. It is tragic that we hold on to anything, whether it's a relationship, a lifestyle. It's a tragedy if we hold on to anything that keeps us from walking in the fulfillment of God's promises. Hope that makes sense to you, caller. Thank you for tuning in the program. Thank you for asking the question. Trey wants to know, pretty direct, he says, how could Christians vote for a man like Trump with all of his character issues? Um, Trey, two things. You know, Christians, real Christians vote for Trump. Real Christians voted for Hillary. Real Christians will vote for Trump next time. Real Christians will vote for the Democratic candidate um, next time and, and, and later this year. Uh, so the truth is that that we can't get to the place where we think God is a Republican or God is a Democrat. Now, when it comes to Trump, 
Uh, I had a conversation with a friend yesterday. Um, I, I pray for Trump to get saved. I mean, I, I want him to get saved. We're supposed to pray for our leaders. But I want this man to get saved. And Christians vote for him because um, on matters of issue. Remember, he's a president, not a pastor. On matters of, of issues, uh, he lines uh, more consistently with, with um, a biblical worldview than the other candidate. Now, that doesn't mean he lives a biblical worldview, but he is pro-life. Um, he, he's, um, um, again, just somebody that, that, it's my own personal opinion, Trey, he's somebody that, that God has allowed to come into this place. It doesn't mean that God is for Trump. God didn't vote for Trump. But we stem the tide of wickedness in this country for a moment. Now, he's, he's got all kinds of issues. Talk about the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't display a single one of them. I'm not trying to proclaim that he's a Christian. But he slowed down this slide into complete and utter perversion and depravity. And we vote for him for those kinds of reasons. So, Trey, I hope that makes sense. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is, let me see, we've got a question from... Oh, I thought one was coming in there, but not there yet. Oh, there it is. Okay, from our email inbox, this one from Chip. He said, listening to your study on the table of nations, I may have missed this. Who is the father of the peoples from the Orient? Uh, Japheth. Well, um, Japheth is the father of the Gentile peoples. I talked about that. And they spread far and wide all over um, the earth. So um, um, remember that Shem is the father of the, the Semitic peoples. Um, Ham, the father of the uh, Hamitic, obviously, but 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 the father of the Canaanites and and the enemies of God, and Japheth, uh, the 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 people from the Gentiles. Remember, Gentile just means non-Jew. So uh, interesting study, um, Chip. I like those kind of studies. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Let's see who we've got here. Uh, oh, Roger was disconnected. Roger, I'm sorry. Held you on, on hold for so long. Line is open if you want to call real quick. Here is a question from uh, Anonymous Question. Uh, I have read about Muslims who have visitations by Jesus. Are they real experiences? Anonymous, yeah, they are. Um, you know, if you're a Muslim, um, especially if you're in the Middle East, uh, there, there are parts of the world, or Africa, um, where, where to convert from from Islam to Christianity uh, would cost you your life. And, you know, my point is that if they're going to convert, they got to be sure. And Jesus meets them where they are. And I have read uh, many experiences uh, from Muslims who had visitations by Jesus. A man I know, uh, Sami Tanaho, uh, was one such man. He's been ministering to Muslims ever since. 
And uh, because he's been ministering to Muslims, God has been honoring that. We're getting a lot more of those people who are uh, who are doing so. Yeah, they are. And it's just Jesus giving them what they need. Now, he's not going to give you visitation or me a visitation. We, we've got all kinds of people who are, um, uh, we have all the signs and wonders that we need. But what we really have here is... Um, Jesus just meeting us at our place of need. Hope that helps. Here's a question from Angela from our email inbox. Um, got three minutes. Okay, let me do this quickly. Are people who die without Christ in their life in hell? The place described in Luke in sixteen, chapter 16, verses 22 and 23. Yeah, but that's not hell. It's a place of torment. Um, you know, when we see that story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, Angela, um, we, we see two compartments, one called paradise. Uh, Abraham was sort of in charge over there. And then the other was a place of torment where the, the, the man was, was burning. He said, my tongue is, is burning in this fire. Um, and so that's where they went upon their death. Now, the place of we call paradise. That place was empty when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth and, and, and took captivity captive. He preached, according to Peter, he preached a message of victory and he took those who were held in paradise with him. The place on the other side of that gulch, the place of torment, is still there. It's where people go. It's where they're awaiting their final judgment at the great white throne judgment. The Bible calls that the second death. But yeah, that's exactly where they are and and where they will remain until uh, after uh, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And then um, death and Hades will be delivered over uh, to Jesus. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. And that will be their final um, uh, place of existence. Uh, conscious, physical, aware of their separation from God and in and, and constant torment forever and ever and ever. So that's the, the question and the right answer, Angela. Thank you very, very much. Well, maybe I've got time for one more question. Um, nope, one minute. Thomas, let me tease your question. I'll hold it till Tuesday of next week. Thomas, Pastor Ron, how can believers prepare for life in this increasingly hostile world? Uh, Thomas, all I can tell you today, I'll, I'll spend more time on this on Tuesday, but all I can tell you today is you have to prepare. And the only way to prepare is to be with Jesus every single day. When we're with Jesus, then the hostility that we encounter in the world won't make a whole lot of difference. It won't be comfortable, but it won't make a lot of difference. I'm going to come back to this one, Thomas, on Tuesday. Uh, pray for our senior class. This week is their, their uh, graduation. Uh, remember that we will not be live Monday on the Memorial Day uh, show, so um, we'll see you live on Tuesday. You've been listening to the Word of Center for Life. I'll see you next week. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.